Psalm 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob whom he loves. God ascended with a shout, the Lord with a sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. I love that. Sing praises. Perhaps you've been watching at uh, what's been going on, keeping an eye on the Middle East. Perhaps you're aware that Iran is nuclear. That as of yesterday, Russia delivered all of the, uh, the nuclear fuel necessary to fire up the Boucher nuclear power plant, and now Iran has joined the nuclear nations of the world. They're not weapons grade yet. It's uh, assumed that that will take roughly a year for them to get the plutonium to the point where it's weapons grade. Although it's interesting, at the same time that the, the nuclear reactor has gone up for the purpose of, of peace and just for energy's sake, which is what Mahmoud, I mean, Jihad was saying, even though they say it's for peace, yeah. it's fascinating that it's this weekend that they fired off some test missiles. And right now it's been said, although Israel has never admitted it, but everybody knows that uh, Israel is the only nuclear nation in the Middle East. And yet now Iran joins that. And their threats against Israel are so much more menacing. They call Israel the little Satan. They call us the big Satan. And their intent is to drive Israel into the sea. But Israel has faced such threats before, haven't they? Many times in their existence. Charles Krauthammer, in an article he actually wrote a couple years back, entitled, Israel, the Miracle at 60, wrote the following. He said, they weren't. They aren't anywhere. Their seeming disappearance into the mists of history since their exile from Israel in 722 B.C. is not a mystery. It's the norm. It's the rule. For every ancient people defeated, destroyed, scattered, and exiled, with one exception... A miraculous story of redemption and return, not after a century or two, but 2,000 years. And remarkably, that miracle occurred in our time. And there's a word for the miracle. Deliverance. Deliverance. It is a word the Jewish people know well. More than any other, the Jewish people should be familiar with that word deliverance. Now we're in this part of the Psalms where we're focused on deliverance. Remember, book two of the Psalms, the Exodus portion of the Psalms, takes a good, hard look at deliverance and pronounces and proclaims our deliverance. And especially Psalm 46, 47, and 48. We looked at 46 last Sunday. We've been studying through these on Wednesday night. But this is what we can call a trilogy of triumph. A trilogy of deliverance, probably written by Hezekiah as Judah was threatened with annihilation from the mighty Assyria. And yet Hezekiah, facing this possible annihilation, facing this existential threat, Hezekiah comes along in Psalm 46 and calls the people to worship. And Assyria would fall at the command of Almighty God. God told Hezekiah, specifically in Psalm 46 verse 10, Cease striving. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. As though he were saying, even as you attempt, Hezekiah, to reassure your own faith, even as you attempt to tell yourself everything's going to be okay. Have you ever done that? Ever been in that place? I know it's going to be alright. Why? Because I'm a Christian. <laughs> it's got to work out somehow. But we can say the words and not necessarily feel it in the heart. And the Lord interrupts Hezekiah. Even as you attempt to reassure and shore up your faith, Hezekiah, just be still. For I am God. Just be still. I will be exalted over all the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. 
And it brings to mind another great day of deliverance for the people of Israel. The people were there, you recall, backed up against the Red Sea. And the entire Egyptian army stacked up before them, ready to take them out. And as they're backed up there, they're freaking out in terror at the approaching enemy. And Moses stood up and said in Exodus 14, 13, Do not fear! Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. And so Egypt and Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, file them in the where are they now category of the mighty nations of the past. No longer mighty in the earth. Nations who, yes, opposed Israel, but nations who in their opposition to Israel opposed the Lord God. And the Lord always will intervene, for He will be exalted among the nations. Don't think God's going to save Israel because they've reached a place of such spiritual righteousness. God will save Israel because He is the Lord. He will save Israel for His name's sake and for His name's sake alone. In this deliverance section of the psalm, something happens here that you need to notice. Suddenly the focus changes. It changes from the reassurance of deliverance to the response of the delivered. From those who would be reassured looking into the mouth of devastation to those on the other side seeing the lion defeated, standing up and rejoicing in their deliverance. It moves from don't fret... Hope in God, be still, to the place of sing praises. Sing praises to God, sing praises. We need to make that shift ourselves. Okay, we've spent the last few weeks saying, don't fret, hope in God, be still. My friends, it is time for us as a fellowship and as individuals to move forward into sing praises. We are a delivered people. And regardless of life around us, we are delivered. We are set free. We are the redeemed. And with the turn of a page, we leave behind worry for worship. Which is what we're called to. An upward worship. Verse 1, again, I love how this psalm begins. You almost can imagine a loud guitar chord just exploding. You know, the drums crashing onto the stage. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples! Shout to God with the voice of joy! Woohoo! <laughs> we are delivered! And Hezekiah says this. He says to the people, We're delivered, so clap your hands! Shout with the voice of joy! Let it ring out! The voice of joy in the Hebrew is kol renah. Kol renah means a ringing cry. Let your joy be heard across the land. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if people came out of their houses on a Sunday morning on North Whidbey Island because there was such a shout. What's going on, man? It's happening. Somebody's partying at like 8 o'clock in the morning? Dude, that's weird. And for people to turn out and see the joy, to hear the joy coming from us. One of the things I love about the Psalms is the way that they encourage, listen to this, they encourage unabashed, unashamed, flagrant praise. That we, you know, tend to go, alright, chill, relax, let's not get too nutty, we don't want to get too wild. And for all that the Psalms proclaim about this unashamed praising of the Lord, there's nothing unreasonable about a people worshiping God with all they are. With everything that is in us. Body, mind, spirit. That we just worship the Lord and the world can see that. That is not an unreasonable thing for the Lord to request of His people. And this morning I want to consider... Several things, and if you've got a pen, you might want to jot these down. And we've already talked a little bit about worship in a previous study, and we're going to talk about it a lot, so get used to it on the next, for the next several months. But several things having to do with what I would call a reasonable praise. You know, is it reasonable that people shout for joy? Is it reasonable that they clap their hands? Is it reasonable that we stand up and show some sort of exuberance and excitement over what the Lord has done and is doing? A reasonable praise. Number one, jot this down. A reasonable praise is enthusiastic. 
boy, I hope this doesn't come across as the pastor trying to emotionally stir up a people so we can become more hyper. You know, that's just not what it's about. If we recognize our deliverance, then it is not unreasonable to be enthusiastic in the way we worship God. To to emote some of what we feel, what we hear, to clap our hands, to shout to God with a ringing cry. You know where we get the word enthusiasm from? It's from the Greek, entheos. Entheos literally means to be full of God. And so, to my mind, to my understanding, a Christian should be more enthusiastic than any person alive because the Christian is full of God. And the more full I am of the Spirit of God, the more entheos I am, the more enthusiastic I'm going to be. Because God is here. Jesus said in John 4.24, a critical verse to our understanding of worship. God is Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in Spirit and in truth. What does that mean to worship in spirit? Does it mean to lose control of myself and to be overcome and to go into some kind of a trance? No. To worship in spirit means to be in theos, full of God, and therefore enthusiastic, focused on the Lord, sensitive to the Lord, praising in the presence of the Lord, worshiping enthusiastically. That is a reasonable request on the part of the Father. A reasonable praise. Well, Pastor, what do I have to be enthusiastic about? How about salvation? To begin with? I mean, if you get nothing else from God in your life, if you live in a shack, but you've been saved, then you have every reason to worship enthusiastically. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 35 says, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. I like that. Why do the people ask that God saves them? So that they can glory in His praise. So that they can worship Him. That is the reason for our salvation. I've said this before. Our salvation is not God's primary focus on earth. His glory is. Our salvation brings glory to God. Glory is the issue. Praising Him in His glory is our focus as believers. And when you know you've been saved, enthusiastic worship should come naturally. In theos. Verse 2, the psalmist continues on, Hezekiah, I believe, says, For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Listen, He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. You see, when the enemy is subdued, enthusiasm ensues. When the enemy is subdued, enthusiasm ensues. Do you think the people of Judah, there in Jerusalem, upon waking up to find 185,000 Assyrian soldiers dead encamped around Jerusalem, do you think they needed a weekend workshop on worship? I mean, really? Did they need to go to a seminar on song? Let's make sure we learn how to get this, you know, bring this out of us. Did they set up quickly programs on praise? And no offense to those who run such workshops and programs with the right spirit. Events like that intended to help the church, but gang, worship is an issuance of the heart. It's not something that even this morning as you take notes, it's not something I take notes on to learn how to do. To worship enthusiastically comes out of the recognition of my deliverance by Jesus Christ on the cross. I'm a saved man. Hallelujah. Praise God. The Jews in Jerusalem went from being overwhelmed by Assyria to being overwhelmed by the joy of deliverance. One day, they're on the verge of annihilation. The next day, saved. Completely saved. And then Hezekiah reminds them in verse 4, He chooses our inheritance for us. The glory of Jacob, whom he loves. What's the glory of Jacob? Literally, it's the pride of Jacob. It's not that word glory, kabod, that is so often used for God. It's, It's a different word in the Hebrew. It means the pride of Jacob. What's the pride of Jacob? The land of Israel. That is the pride of the Jewish person. The inheritance 
God said, I'm going to give you this land. It is your land in which to live. It actually belongs to me, but I'm giving it to you, father to children, as an inheritance forever. It belongs to you, Israel. And while a reasonable praise is first enthusiastic, a reasonable praise also recognizes endowment. It recognizes endowment. Hezekiah recognizes the people of Israel were endowed with the promised land itself, the pride, the glory of Jacob, their inheritance. And from Abraham forward, that inheritance has meant everything to the Jew. To this very day. I, I don't know about you, I was watching all weekend waiting for that Bushir reactor to be bombed. I, I expected it. You know, Netanyahu has been so quiet lately. Israel has been really silent in the news. And I thought, ooh, this is going to happen. And I was all excited because I thought I'd be a prophet, you know. Because I knew ahead. (laughs) And it didn't happen. It may yet. And side note, I don't don't want it to happen. Because the reality is that uh, salvation is offered to Persians as well as every other nation of the world. What we want to happen is to see the salvation of Persian people, of the Iranians. That's what we need to pray for, not a bombing. Lord, blow it apart! No, no. Lord, save the people of Iran. Turn around people who are lost in a false religion. Anyway, watching that and recognizing the love of the people for the land, that they have issued a response. Israel has called this reactor unacceptable. Why? Because it's an existential threat. It is a threat to the land in which they live. Some say, why don't the Jews just give it up? You know, why not just, I mean, there's New York. Just all of them move to New York. I mean, you know, what is it, a a sixth of them are already there? Just spread out into the world like the rest of people who have, you know, and, and the Jewish people understand if they lose the land, they will lose their entire inheritance. They'll lose themselves. They recognize the endowment and a reasonable praise does that. Krauthammer wrote that miracle occurred in our time. Ezekiel prophesied that each of the twelve tribes of Israel will receive a renewed inheritance in the land in the millennial kingdom. You can read about it in Ezekiel 48. Every tribe is listed. And every tribe is given a specific allotment. Here's where you're going to be. Judah, here's where you're going to be. Benjamin and throughout the tribes, given their allotment, their endowment. Do you have an endowment worth worshiping about? Do you have an inheritance worth shouting about? If you're not sure, let me help you with this. Ephesians 1.13, Paul says, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. We have an eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. We have an endowment. Do we recognize that endowment? And if so, then we praise enthusiastically. We praise as those who see the endowment we've been blessed with by Jesus Himself. Well, I was hoping for something else. It's not really what I wanted. Two boys were offered an inheritance when their grandfather passed away. But there was a requirement on the inheritance. The money you receive needs to go to your first car. The one son was like, I'm going to get a car! Yes! Jumping around, excited. The other son went, Hmm. What if I don't want a car? What if I'd rather spend it in a different place or a different way Boy, I I appreciate the inheritance I do, but I was really looking for something else. I can absolutely guarantee you, you're not going to hear Naphtali or Zebulun complaining in the Millennial Kingdom. Well, I wish I had what what Benjamin has. He always gets the better spot. It's not fair, man. I was looking for Martha's Vineyard myself. That'd be a cool place to vacation and hang out. Well, I was hoping for a Wahoo. Look where I'm stuck. i got southern Israel. Man, they're not going to complain. They're going to be thrilled, praising God that the, the endowment, the inheritance has been given back in the same way you and I. We have nothing to complain about. 
nothing to complain about. We have an eternal, everlasting inheritance in Jesus worth shouting about. By the way, know this, in verse 4 it begins just by saying, He chooses our inheritance for us. Isn't that great? He chooses the gift. He looks at you, looks at me and says, these are the gifts I have for him, the gifts I have for her. This is the inheritance I have chosen for you. And what's awesome about that is the Lord always knows the perfect gift. He always knows the right blessing. We all have the inheritance of salvation, but He also knows for every one of us exactly what we need in our lives. And we can praise Him for that. I would much rather have Him choose, because when I choose, it's not always a good choice. If it were me, I'd say, Lord, go ahead, give me $12 million. I can handle it. (laughs) No, truly, I can, Lord. We've had the conversation. He has not yet responded. (laughs) He chooses the gift. He selects the inheritance. Verse 5, God has ascended with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Now, you've got to check this out. Number 3, a reasonable praise is enthusiastic. A reasonable praise recognizes its endowment, but a reasonable praise is expectant. Expectant. Watch this. Midweek we looked at this verse. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. And if you look at these several uh, psalms here together, all the way up through Psalm 50, you get a picture, and I encourage you if you miss Wednesday night, of the Millennial Kingdom. We talked about this. You look at verses, and it speaks of the Millennial Kingdom to come. And it's a great picture. But in that, I said something Wednesday. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. God has ascended. He's gone up to the sound of praise of His people. Well, when does that happen? And, and the, the theory, the idea, J. Vernon McGee put this one out there, and I think it's probably pretty good. He said, during the Millennial Kingdom, it's very likely Jesus Himself will be traversing back and forth between heaven and earth. And every time He goes up, Oh, the world will shout praise. Perhaps, prophetically, that's what Hezekiah is talking about here. God ascending with a shout. But I went back and looked about this. looked at this, prayed about it this week, and I think Hezekiah might be talking about something else from his perspective. Anytime a conquering king would return victorious from battle, he always had to go up to Jerusalem. He always had to ascend to Jerusalem. Listen to the verse that way. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. And the news would always reach the people faster than the returning king. So they'd be there, lining the walls, lining the alleys, ready for the king. And as the king and the army returned, the shout would go up as they ascended, as they went up to Jerusalem. Perhaps Hezekiah has that in mind. He's seeing God as the victorious king. The Lord coming up to Jerusalem, mighty Assyria waylaid, and here comes the king ascending with the shout of his people. And it fits the pattern. It fits it beautifully. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Remember, Jesus went up. He ascended to the shouts of the people. Jesus going up to Jerusalem as He went into the city riding the donkey. You've got to get that, that geography down because it changes everything in how you picture the scene. He doesn't come riding down to Jerusalem. He comes riding up. He ascends. The King, glorious. God on a colt. And the people shouting praise. And Jesus will also go up to Jerusalem in His glorious return. Well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says in Zechariah 14 that He sets foot on the Mount of Olives. And then from there, He enters in through the Eastern Gate. Well, from the Mount of Olives, you've got to go down, across the Kadron Valley, and then you go back up into Jerusalem. And Jesus will ascend then into Jerusalem, the glorious God ascending with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet, and Jesus may be seen going up from Jerusalem, ascending and descending from heaven to clamorous praise at set times during the Millennial Kingdom. Whatever Hezekiah is specifically referring to here, let me ask you this question. What do you think it did for the people to see Jesus ascending to the Temple Mount that day? 
What did it do for the people? The possibility that their deliverer had arrived, that Messiah was here. Where were their hearts? What was their reaction, their response? You know the story. Palm fronds and branches laid on the ground. People even throwing their cloaks down to keep the dust from rising up. People shouting, Hosanna! God save us! Praise to His name! Freaking out the Pharisees. They can't say that, can they? I don't know. Check the books. And all this worship going up because hope was there. Deliverance was there. The people began to recognize what might be happening. How will you feel seeing Jesus go up to Jerusalem at His glorious return? Will that be awesome? As we return with Him and watch Him go before us and in through the eastern gate, and I'll be saying, I preached that sermon, man. We read that verse. And we sat on the Mount of Olives and talked about this. He's going up. I guarantee you, no one's going to have problems worshiping at that point. No one's going to hold back the shout of praise. It's not going to be like, whoop! You know, looking around what all the other people on horseback are doing. He's got his hands lifted. She's clapping. Hallelujah! We will be so excited because a reasonable praise is expectant. Do we worship today expecting the return of the King? On our Sundays when the music starts up, do we suddenly get, get captured with the thought that Jesus is coming. The King is returning. He is ascending in glory. God with a shout. Now ironically, the Apostles' reaction to Jesus' ascension is probably a little bit more like ours. Remember what happened? He ascended from the Mount of Olives after His resurrection in exaltation and expectancy wasn't exactly what was going on. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 says He was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received Him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while He was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. There they were. The apostles, open mouth, gaping, gazing. <laughs> what do you do? I've never seen anyone lift off before. You know, there's that weird magician guy on TV who tries to fool people into thinking he's elevated. This Jesus, <laughs> and they're awed. They're blown away. They're not saying a word. And and the two angels are standing there. It just cracks me up. It's one of those very funny moments in Scripture, to me at least. Acts chapter one verse eleven. They said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up at the sky? <laughs> what are you doing?" Peter, close your mouth, man. You get bugs. <laughs> this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go up into heaven. He's coming back. Lift him up. Worship expectantly. Praise him. Shout for joy. Clap your hands. A reasonable praise is enthusiastic. It is endowed. It is expectant. Rick, why do you keep calling this a reasonable praise? That sounds so logical. You know, a reasonable praise. Yes, at the bridge we praise reasonably. We should praise reasonably. Let me explain. We don't just praise with our hearts. And this is so important to understand. We praise with our heads as well. We don't just praise in the Spirit. We also praise in the truth. We praise with understanding. Jesus said in Mark 12.30, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Two of the four are mind and soul. Which is the reason, the intellect. Jesus says, I want you to love me with your mind. Intellectually. With understanding. A reasonable praise. Note this, number four, a reasonable praise is equipping. This is something that happens in worship we need to recognize. Look at verse six. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. Skillful? The word there is mascal. The direction is sing praises with a mascal psalm. After the clapping, after the shouting, after the jumping in the trumpets, Hezekiah says, sing praises with a mascal psalm. 
What's a masculine psalm? Remember? Instructive. Teaching. Doctrinally sound. Bringing the information along with the emotion. Jesus said God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It's both together. I I see people worshiping God with all heart. And it can be very motivating and very moving. People who are passionate and expressive and, and unfettered in their worship and sometimes mindless. To be quite honest. Where it doesn't matter what's sung. Where it doesn't matter what the words are or what the meaning is, as long as it's felt or experienced. And that is dangerous. Because if I'm basing my relationship with the Lord on how I... If I base my relationship with Cheryl, my wife, on how I felt, I would probably have been divorced 700 times over. Not because of her. But because my heart does this. I always love her. don't always like her. Don't tell her I said that. (laughs) Because typically when I realize that I'm not liking, it's because I'm the one being a total jerk. And there are people who come to the Lord and fall and come and fall and come and because it's all emotion and it's all experience and it's all felt. And man, I just wasn't feeling God there this morning. Well, that's funny because where two or three are gathered together, I am there, Jesus said. So you may not feel Him. Your emotions may not be in that place. You may be wrung out after a long week of, of difficult days and you come on a Sunday morning and man, you're not feeling it, but you're instructed. But you're worshiping in truth. A reasonable praise is equipping. Another way to translate verse 7 is sing praises with understanding. Let me give you some understanding on worship. And some of this I know we've talked about it, but let's, let's seal this in our hearts. The word worship in the Hebrew is shaka, and it means literally to bow down. The word praises in the Hebrew is zamar, it's literally songs. I said this recently, in fact, Cheryl and I were just talking about this a couple days ago. People like to say there are many ways to worship God. No, there aren't, actually. There are many ways to honor God. There are lots of things you can do in your life to to bring glory to God and to bring honor to God. But if you want to worship God, literally worshiping is bowing down. Literally praising is song. So worship is to bow down and sing. Well, I worship Him with my work. Really? And you kneel down right there in, in, the, in the hallway there by your computer as people are walking by. Hallelujah. Yeah, are you really? <laughs> because when I worship Him with praises, when I praise and worship, it is bowing down in song. It is very specific. It's an action that calls for both spirit and truth. To be enthusiastic and, and caught up in the praise. Yes, feeling it. Yes, experiencing it. But with your mind as well as with your heart. Paul gives an interesting contrast. He says in Ephesians 5.18, Don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation. And by the way, let me just say this, church. We need to hear that a little more clearly because there is far too much getting drunk with wine in Christianity today. It just blows my mind. As if that's the one that's okay. As if that's cool. Listen to how Paul said, I think this is great. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have a choice. You can be filled with the Spirit of God, or you can be filled with alcohol. What do you want? Yeah, alcohol is going to relax you. It's going to soothe you. It will comfort you for a time. The Holy Spirit will relax you, and soothe you, and comfort you forever. Anyway, side note. So Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. Be filled with the Spirit. And then he says this, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, and he says, making melody with your heart to the Lord. That is worshiping in the Spirit. Because it's in my heart. I am worshiping in my heart. And that is a felt praise. Colossians 3.16, some would say, well, Paul just repeats that. He doesn't just repeat it. Listen to what he says. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's worship in truth. Paul covers both. 
Worship in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And worship with that spiritual praise. But worship in the truth as well. Teaching. Admonishing. With wisdom, he says. And he uses in both cases those three words. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. If you haven't heard this, we've talked about it before. Psalms is the word psalmos. It means to pluck. So worship Him by plucking. doesn't mean your ear, you know, in the middle, or your nose, please. It means... It means to pluck musical worship. Worship Him with musical worship. Hymns is humnos in the Greek, and it means to declare greatness. And so that's thoughtful worship. I am declaring the greatness of God in my worship. I am not declaring my own excitement and my own fun and my own experience. No, I am declaring His greatness. And that is thoughtful worship. Spiritual songs is the third one he says. That's pneumatikos odei which simply means spiritual songs. And so that is spiritual worship. Paul denotes three. Musical worship, thoughtful worship, spiritual worship. But in all three, he says in Ephesians, to do this in your heart to the Lord spiritually. He says to the Colossian church, to do it with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. And that is in truth, thoughtfully. I explain that because we have all kinds of songs that we sing here at the bridge, right? We have hymns that we do from time to time, and we have spiritual songs. We have some where you're repeating the same thing over and over, and it just gives you a chance to to think about the Lord and to to rejoice in the presence of God. We have others that have a lot of words and a lot of instruction involved in them. They are all, all necessary. Some describe His glory, and some teach His story. And there are others where we just enter into intimacy. We need all of them. And I get people coming and saying, you know, I just, I think there, you know, there's too many words. Okay. We'll we'll try to back off that for you because, of course, worship is about you. You know. And we have others coming and saying, you know, those praise choruses are okay, but they're just so mindless. I need something meaty in worship. Okay, well, because it's all about you, (laughs) we'll make sure and cover that. And when I hear these things, honestly, it doesn't bother me to to get suggestions and, and comments from folks. But I always go back to the same thing. We are told to worship across the board. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We are not told to pick one. Paul doesn't say, choose your favorite and worship with that. He says, you worship the Lord with all of it. And if you are great with the meaty instructional songs, but those spiritual songs are not so good, maybe you need more of the spiritual songs. And if you just love to revel in the Spirit and intimacy over here without really thinking about what's going on, you probably need a little more instruction. The purpose of all of it is to lift up Jesus, to glorify God, and not ourselves. Musical, thoughtful, spiritual But the focus, again, with Hezekiah there in verse 7 is thoughtful. Sing praises with a masculine psalm, with a thoughtful psalm, with a reasoned psalm. Why is this praising with understanding so important? I'll tell you what, in the church today, we are living in a world where the emerging paradigm in the church is experience over truth. And it is constant and it is everywhere. It is all about the experience of the people more than the truth of God. And it concerns me as a pastor greatly. Because I see it everywhere. It's emotion over doctrine. And the truth is, if I know the truth, I'm going to be emotional. But I'll tell you what, if I start with and and run in emotion, I may never get to doctrine. I may never really know what it's all about. I might just kind of spin around over here in happy land. And when life gets tough, and when the big questions come, I'm not ready. I don't know. Something more exciting or more emotional may come along and off I go. It was consecration day in Israel for the high priest Aaron and his sons. And they came out and the people were rejoicing. It was an amazing day. The story is told. I'll just read it to you in Leviticus chapter 9. In verse 23 it says, Moses and Aaron went out of the tent of meeting or they went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. 
And then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. I don't know what that shout was like. I mean, was it a shout of abject fear? Think about it. Moses and Aaron walk out of the tabernacle. They come up there to the altar. Uh, It's probably a good thing neither one of them were standing directly between the door and the altar because fire comes out. The offering is accepted. And the people shout. And no doubt there were those who just went, Awesome, Lord! And hit the ground. And there were probably those who just went, Wah! And hit the ground. (laughs) But they all shout. They all fall flat on their faces. And oh, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, they're like, This is cool. Dude, check this out! The sons of Aaron, they took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense in it and offered strange fire before the Lord which He had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Whoa. Suddenly things got very serious. I feel bad for Nadab and Abihu. I really do. Chances are they were a little tipsy which you get from reading a little further down in the passage where the Lord commands later, do not drink wine or strong drink when you come into the tent of meeting. So it's a good, good chance Nadab and Abihu were a little bit, woohoo, it's a good day. Get the fire pan, bro. I got it, dude. Let's go. And what did they do? The Bible tells us specifically that Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. And so Aaron therefore kept silent. What happened? They offered strange fire. We used this actually back when we studied Leviticus as an example of exactly what we're talking about in worship. It is possible to offer up strange fire. That is more about drawing the attention to yourself. That is more about being caught up in the moment rather than caught up in the Lord. And the glory and the praise of the Lord. Worship should be reasoned. It should come with understanding. It should be supported and bolstered by the truth of sound doctrine and the teaching of the Word. And I'll tell you this, when you are reading the words on the screen during worship, you better be checking those just as much as you're checking the verses during teaching time. You better make sure that's doctrinally sound what we're saying. Because I hear stuff that's not. There's music on Christian radio, and I listen to the song, and I go, that's not right. I'll give you an example, and this is just a playful one. If you've heard it, um, what, what, what's, the, what's the Christian comedian? What's his name, John? Guitar player? Tim Hawkins. And I love Tim Hawkins. Absolutely hysterical. And this is not, this is not an attack on Tim Hawkins, but let me just give you an example. He's singing the song, uh, Samson and Delilah. And you can look at this on YouTube, and it's really funny, where he takes the song, uh, something Delilah... What's the Delilah song, you guys who listen to? Hey there, Delilah. Huh? Hey there, Delilah. Hey Delilah. Takes that song and he rewrites it to be Samson and Delilah. It's all Samson singing to Delilah about how she cut his hair and cut it too short. It's really, really funny. But in the middle of the song, he's singing along and he says, he says, you know, you cut my hair and, and I'm a Nazarene. Samson was not a Nazarene. He was a Nazarite. And it's a completely different thing. Jesus was a Nazarene from Nazareth. Samson was a Nazarite, which was a vow that was taken before the Lord. And it's a subtle thing. But I heard that and it went, ah! You know, and I told John, and I'm sure John just went, Shh, can't you just stop teaching for one minute? Just enjoy the song, bonehead. You know, I don't know what he was thinking. But when we worship the Lord, we better know what we're worshiping is truth. What we're singing to and about the Lord and what He's doing is based on sound doctrine and not just based on what feels good. Pay attention to it. Worship reaches my spirit and it teaches my mind. It equips me in godly truth. I learned an awful lot of doctrine from singing hymns growing up. And some of it was right on. Some of it was not. I had to relearn some things when I began studying the Bible and going back and listening to some old hymns and going, oh, (laughs) that doesn't say what this says. Worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 8. 
God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. One last verse to note here about a reasonable worship. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is tested, and He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Now listen. Every human being ever created, which includes most of us here this morning, every human being ever created comes hardwired for worship. That is the primary function, the primary reason you and I have been made is to worship. And I point that out, and this is critical. The Lord created us this way. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You have created all things, and for Your pleasure they are and were created. We were created for His pleasure. We were created to worship Him, and that in our most natural state, we naturally worship. And, and here's the problem. When our worship gets unfocused, When our worship is not on the Lord, if we don't praise Him, our natural inclination will be to worship something. Everybody worships something. Sports. We worship the athletes. I mean, we really do. I was asked yesterday, what do you think about LeBron? You know, great. (laughs) Whatever. I'm not concerned. We worship entertainment, actors, which still just blows my mind. And if any of you are in acting or drama, that's fine, that's cool, but but man, how hard is it? You're just acting like someone else. But we worship that. We worship artists. Go to a concert. How many times have you been the one with the lighter? (laughs) <laughs> you know, or the hands raised, and this is this is what blows my mind is to be at concerts and people just going like this. Yeah. It's like that guy's singing about making love to his girlfriend, and your hands are raised. What's up? What is going on with that? And you hear uh, there's a guy, and I forget the name of the band. He was in England. There was a festival going on. The lead singer of this up and coming indie band uh, climbed up to the top of a of a cell tower right after their performance and jumped off and killed himself. Yeah. Why would he do that? Top of his game. He's being worshipped by... Because along with the fact that we have a natural inclination to worship, being worshipped will destroy us. Man, we, we, we look at, at artists and musicians and we, we even call them icons and idols. Why? Because our natural inclination is the worship. If we're not worshiping God, I'm going to worship something. Money. Material things. I'm going to worship it if I'm not worshiping God. Power. Pleasure. Myself. And these are the gods of this age that need to be torn down. In favor of being a people who worship, reasonably worship, the living God. Paul put it this way, and I'm going to pull a few things out of this one verse, but it's all in context. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-4, through 4, which we've quoted many times. It's Paul talking about the last days. And he says, realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. And then in this, these few verses he mentions four, four loves of man. He says, men will be lovers of self in the last days. Men will be lovers of money. In the last days. In verse 4 he says, Men will be lovers of pleasure. And finally, he says, Rather than lovers of God. Another way to put that is, Men will worship themselves, they will worship money, they will worship pleasure, rather than worshiping God. And that's the age in which we live. To the Goodmans, I have to apologize because I'm about to use a Disneyland example. I wasn't going to do it, but it was too perfect. We uh, went to Disney, spent two days there on our vacation. And uh, on the second day in the evening, about 7 o'clock, we did what so many people will do when you visit Disneyland. We took our blanket and we set it down there at the Rivers of America, which, by the way, are not the Rivers of America. Who knew? So we put the blanket down, sat down there, and we waited for the show. Because if you've ever been there, you know they have a show called Fantasmic. 
And it's awesome. It's really cool. Fireworks and light shows and music and Disney characters and, and all this. It's really impressive. And they have a big wall of water and they literally project scenes from the movies on the wall of water. It's pretty astounding. And so I wanted the kids to see this. And, and we sit there and we're waiting and, and it's getting closer. you know, And you can kind of feel the enthusiasm rising. And, and all of a sudden the lights go down. And, and a light pierces there, the stage right over on Tom Sawyer's Island. And Mickey Mouse appears, and everybody went nuts. I kid you not. What? You know, and Naomi's right here, Mickey Mouse! And I'm like, no, no, get your Bibles out. Naomi, sit down. Wait. This is not right. This is mouse worship, man. You know, I've seen that thing more than a dozen times, but I have never been as struck as I was at the adulation, at the worship. I mean, everybody was thrilled to see Mickey, and the thought that hit my mind was, how does our cheering of even cartoon characters compare to our cheering of God when we worship Him? And we have no problem jumping up and down for a mouse. (laughs) But Sunday morning, man, we don't want to be too demonstrative, too unreasonable. Jesus said in the last days, Matthew twenty four twelve, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. I always read that in terms of the unbelieving world. What about the church? Is our passion growing cold in these days? Are, are, are we less willing to demonstrate our affection for the Father when we worship because of the increase of wickedness even among us? Are we too embarrassed to worship enthusiastically? I I wonder, could Jesus say, and I'm I'm taking this on me, please don't hear this as me preaching it at you, I'm I'm talking to myself, could Jesus say this about Rick? Revelation 2.3, you have perseverance, Rick. You've endured for my name's sake. You've not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. Is our worship really as reasonable as we think it is? Because I'll tell you, if we don't recognize our endowment, if we aren't waiting expectantly, if we're not recognizing the equipping that comes, and most importantly, if we're not worshiping enthusiastically, then our worship is unreasonable. Father, again, this is one of those teachings where... I wish we were now going into a time of worship. But perhaps, perhaps, Father, there's wisdom in this that we wait and we ponder these things and we pray over these things and we consider these things. Maybe, Lord, right now what we need more than anything else is a Selah to think about what You've told us from Psalm 47. Holy Spirit, cause Your Word to sink in and teach us what it means to sing praises. Sing praises. Sing praises to our God. Sing praises to our King. In Jesus' name, Amen.